The reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 23. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by the fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in, the, uh, in Ulster University, and I was there to see uh, our very own Ian McKnight's uh, uh, installation, is that right? Uh, the opening of his uh, exhibition installation of uh, a display that he had done. Uh, Ian's an architect, and I was there to see it. It's still there, yeah? It's still there? Uh, so if you're down uh, around the university, go in and check it out. Um, it's, it's a cool um, piece of uh, architectural design. Uh, within that. So it's, here's the thing about architecture, because this is what we we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the architecture of a community, the architecture of, of a church in many ways. Um, and the thing about architecture is architecture can tell you a lot about a people uh, and a people group. Um, if you've traveled around the world, you'll know that to be true. Um, if you go to different parts of the world, outside of kind of the West, if you will, the architecture changes dramatically. Um, even within the West, it can change. Um, and it can tell you a lot about a people. Um, even when I was aw- uh, away over in Eastern Europe, uh, Moldova was kind of part of the Soviet uh, Union at one point. It was part of Romania. And so a lot of the buildings there have a kind of that Soviet brutalism uh, kind of feel about them. They're very utilitarian. Um, and even when we got into these villages, villages of the homes were very simple dwellings, uh, little plots of lands and farms around them. And yet... Uh, uh, a village that uh, has a lot of poor people in it with simple dwellings might have an elaborate church um, built there um, that's beautiful and ornate. It can tell, a lot, uh, tell us a lot about what we value. Um, if you go to America, the eastern part of the United States uh, was obviously uh, the oldest part, uh, is influenced by more northern European influence, and so the buildings there have that influence. The further west you go, you go out to California, the west coast, it's more of a Mexican, Spanish, southern, in, uh, southern European influence that's there. Uh, the way churches are designed in their architecture says something about their theology, um, and so this, this building was built as a Baptist church originally, suits us well. 
Um, it's not overly ornate. Uh, it's very plain uh, for the most part, um, and it, it just uh, kind of does the job. Uh, most of the time, they, don't call, they didn't call them churches. They called them meeting houses because this is where the, the church, that's you and I, us, uh, the, the community of faith met. So this is the meeting house for the church. That's why we tend to call this, we refer to this place as the building and not the church itself. And so there's a lot that can be um, deduced, if you will, uh, about architecture, from architecture. And here we see Paul, last week he was using a more agricultural kind of uh, metaphor with planting seeds, watering, harvesting. But in verse 9 he transitions to the city dwellers in Corinth. Uh, He says, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, and then he transitions to God's building. And he's going to take on this design, architecture, building kind of motif uh, for the rest of uh, this chapter. Um, The context of what we're looking at is still his concern about the unity of the church. Um, If you remember, the church uh, is is fractured at this point. Uh, There's been um, reports back to him uh, of factions, of divisions within the church. They're aligning themselves with different teachers, different leaders, uh, which was exactly what the Corinthians were known for outside of the church. So the church isn't acting like God's people. They're acting like the rest of the culture. And they're trying to uh, align themselves with certain teachers just like the culture did abroad. They would align themselves with different philosophers, uh, uh, different um, uh, worldviews and schools of thought, and kind of build an identity uh, according to that. And this is now exactly what they're doing in the church. Um, they are looking to these leaders, these human leaders. Now, I like, it the, I like the way this is done. I like the way he teaches. Now, I like this way. And, and they're fracturing apart. And Paul is writing to them with his concern. And so let's, we're going to look at the architecture of community today. We're going to look at kind of three kind of parts of that. The construction of community, the demolition of community, and then the kind of restoration or the rebuilding of community. So let's start with the first one, the construction of community. Um, when we look at buildings, beautiful buildings speak for themselves, don't they? Um, their beauty allows them even to become destinations themselves. So you think of the beautiful buildings that the, the world knows, right? That you would go to see just to see that building. So you might go to see the Taj Mahal. You might go to see Buckingham Palace, the Sydney Opera House, the Sagria Familia, the Burj Khalifa, the Colosseum. It's interesting that we would go just to see buildings, Buildings that don't have anything to do with us. It might be an office building. It might be a place of worship. It might be a, a something where they literally killed people in them, like the Colosseum. And yet we want to go and see them because they are in and of themselves uh, beautiful. If they've been well built, they've, they've stood the test of time. But the reverse is true as well, isn't it? Ugly or poorly constructed buildings are kind of eyesores. It's one of the things that struck me about Moldova, um, um, even flying into the capital, can anybody tell me the capital of Moldova? No. No, most of you are like, nah. I, I, I couldn't either, to be honest, until this last week. Um, but it's Chisinau. You've learned something. There you go. If you ever find yourselves on a trivia show, uh, there you go. <laughs> that was literally a question on a trivia show that Lord McConaughey got wrong. Was it, was it pointless? <laughs> was it pointless that you were on? And it was, is Moldova in the EU? Was that the question or something like that? So I'm just trying to get you up to speed. It's not in the EU. It's not in the EU. All right. So, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, see? Come to church. It could literally pay off someday. 
Um, but I was struck there because a, a lot of the buildings are, are dilapidated, uh, derelict, um, literally falling down, crumbling uh, around them. And so um, buildings that are poorly constructed are not just eyesores, they're also dangerous. Um, we were, I was at, uh, we, we were in the courtyard of a, an old Orthodox church, and they had this, like, bell tower kind of archway thing, and I noticed the door to it was open, and I'm, I'm just curious like that, so I'm like, I'm going to go in and see what it is. There's a staircase, and as I was halfway up this, like, metal staircase, I was like, I have made a mistake, <laughs> and I thought, this whole building is going to collapse on me. I'm going to be killed by a bell falling on top of me. The woods were all, like, rotten and creaking, and I eventually, I got out of there as quickly as I could. Um, and this is, Paul sees the same thing metaphorically in the Corinthian church. Their community, this building that is being constructed, is starting to fall apart, and it's dangerous. People are going to get hurt um, because of uh, the potential of the whole thing collapsing. Paul sees the Corinthian church, and they have an opportunity as they're being built into this uh, church, into this community, into this temple, to either reflect God's beauty um, in the way that they are being built, in the way that they are joined together, thus bringing uh, a, a beautiful witness to their city, or the whole thing could collapse and people are going to get hurt. Disunity in the church always hurts people. Maybe you're here today and you've experienced that in your past. You've come with some past wounds of being hurt in a church um, because of disunity. I've, I've, that's part of my faith story in my past as well. So disunity in the church hurts people, but it also displeases God. It doesn't honor Him. We're concerned about how we build things, aren't we? Not just physical things, but when you think about your own life, there are things that you're trying to build. Maybe you're trying to build your career at the moment. Maybe you're trying to build a marriage or a family. Uh, and when, when we're trying to build these things in our life that we care about, we take care on how we do that, don't we? We prepare, we read, you go to university, uh, you get uh, continuing education in the field uh, that you work in. If you're parenting, we're trying to ask other parents' advice. We're reading um, books on parenting. And Why wouldn't we do those same things for our spiritual life as we try to build that? And here Paul um, points out in verse 10 the need for sound construction. He says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. And then what does he say? Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Paul, Paul's role was to come and to lay a foundation that he knew others would build on. He came, saw people come to faith, laid the foundation of the church being built, and then he went to Ephesus. He moved on to, to continue to lay foundations of churches being built. That was his role as an apostle um, at, that, at that time to do that. But he says, now all of you must take care how you're building on that foundation. And all of this, he says, is according to what? God's grace. It's not according to our own kind of um, efforts within this. He sees the superstructure, what's going to be built on the foundation as a communal project. And he envisions all the Corinthians, all of them a part of the church, joined together as this kind of skilled construction crew, building and laying on the foundation that's there. Each member has a particular responsibility. We'll see this as we move deeper into the chapter, into the, into the book. And the soundness of the building depends upon the soundness, the soundness of each participant's 
contribution to building that. It's important that we think about the church this way, isn't it? Because often in the West, uh, we can get into a mindset of uh, that of a consumer. Um, And so the church is something that uh, church leaders are in charge of. They're the ones doing the building. I just show up to the kind of building into the community. I kind of observe it. I, I, I take from it, you know, and I can kind of use that as a consumer. I consume there, and then I can leave, but it's, I'm not really responsible for it. That's not at all how the Scripture sees the church. The Scripture sees all of us that are part of the church as being not just members of the church, members of one body, but also ministers within that body. Um, Peter would refer to it as the priesthood of all believers, that God, as we'll see as we move into, into, into this letter deeper, that he has gifted each of us, and each of those gifts he's given to us according to his grace as ways to do what? Build up the body. We all have a contribution. We all have a responsibility, and the soundness of the building as a whole is each of us bringing our own sound contribution to that. And so if, if each of us is bringing shoddy building um, materials to that, say you're in charge of, of putting the pillars in place, as it were, but you're like, eh, I'm not going to use, you know, reinforced concrete. I'll just use a bit of plywood, and it's cheaper to do that. It's certainly easier. It's heavier. It doesn't cost as much. But the ramifications of that are eventually then that starts to give way because it's not material that lasts It's not quality material. And so Paul says, each one take care of how they build on it. And a few things um, we see in this category. What you build on matters. It matters. The foundation that he says he lays. He laid the foundation. Verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid. What's the foundation? Which is Jesus Christ. The foundation, what you build upon, matters. The foundation is what stabilizes. It's what unifies the rest of the building. If you have a weak foundation, a a foundation that isn't built, uh, that can withstand the weight of what's put on top of that foundation, you can use all the best building materials in the world, but if the foundation itself is cracked, if the foundation is going to crumble, the whole thing on top of it is eventually going to uh, show signs of that stress. Cracks. Fissures are going to show up, and eventually that building will start to fall apart and become dangerous. And so a foundation, a solid, firm foundation um, is what we need to build on. I was listening to, there's an old hymn. Um, it was, I remembered it too late in the week to have a sing us this morning, but I would love for it to get into our, our rotation at some point. And let me just, it's, a, it's called The Church's One Foundation. Pretty good title for a hymn for this morning. Let me just read you, I'm going to read you the first verse and the last verse to it because I think the words of it are great and it captures a lot of this it says the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord she is his new creation by water and the word from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride and with his own blood he bought her and for her life he died Yet she on earth hath union with God the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. O happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we, like them the meek and lowly, in love may dwell with thee. Christ is our one foundation. He is what we build upon. 
We aren't invited to build on our own foundations. This is what he says in verse 11. For, one can lay a found, uh, for no one can lay a foundation other than what is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Only Jesus. And when Paul uses uh, the term Jesus in this way, it's, it's Jesus and the work that he has done. It's Jesus and his gospel. The, the way that he would say it is Jesus and him crucified. It's Jesus and his work. Jesus and him crucified and resurrected that is the foundation. It is the singular foundation that, that establishes unity for the community and for all of life. Even though we might want to establish our identity on other things. And that's the temptation, isn't it? We can be sure that this foundation is Jesus. It's, it's Jesus and his gospel. And so this poses a question to us. It's a, it's a time for us to take stock, isn't it? This is what Paul wants them to do. I want you to take stock because what you're building, what you're building the foundation on at the minute is not Jesus. You're, building a, you're trying to build your identity on, well, I'm aligned with Paul. No, it's Cephas. I'm, I'm aligned with, with this, that, and the other. He wants them to take stock. And so we do that this morning. What is it that foundationally we're trying to build our life upon? Nothing wrong with trying to build a career. Nothing wrong with trying to build a family. All of those are, are good uh, things, right? We've got this creation mandate. We're to go and multiply. We're to go and to cultivate the earth. All, all good things. But how? What, what is the foundation that we're building on? Is, all of my, is the career the foundation that's built upon that? As long as my career is progressing, as long as it's going the way that I think it should, then all of my, my life will, will, be, uh, will satisfy me. But what happens when the industry that you're in changes or bottoms out or the economy tanks or your company goes under or there's somebody else that's more qualified or does a better job and you're kind of stuck? Our whole life then feels stuck. Our whole life starts to feel meaningless. Or when we build our foundation on somebody else other than Jesus, even if that's a marriage, your spouse cannot bear the weight of your identity. They were never created to do that. We are, we are one flesh, to be sure, yes. But the foundation that we build our marriages on is not each other. It's not the strength of our relationship. We build our marriages on Jesus. He is the one that then strengthens our relationship together. Do we see the difference in that? The problem when we long for identity, right? And we do. We all long for identity. It's why we spend our lives constructing our own. Um, and that's a big, when we think of all the kind of um, things that we're dealing with at the minute as a society, our confusion on our identity is a big part of all of that. Our political identity, um, gender, um, how we relate to one another, who you are and who I am, the us and the them, uh, racial tensions, immigrate, like all, all of these things start to come down to who we are. Sometimes it's easy, isn't it, to kind of see that in the silliness of our youth at times, or what we think is the silliness of our youth, right? You can look to kind of back to when you were in secondary school, and we all kind of uh, get into these kind of categories, right? Um, it, might, it might not be as obvious here, like the whole school uniform thing is different. I grew up in America, and so you can really wear your identity, literally, and so you'd have all the goth kids, you know, they're all wearing black and all this kind of stuff. And then you'd have like the jocks, the athletes, uh, and they're all wearing their kind of like athletic clothes. You had the like, you know, more studious nerds and they were, you know, all like, and, but all that exists here too. We all find ways to kind of 
create our little niche. This is the people, this, these are my people. These are the people that, that I'm with. And we kind of laugh at that. We watch these kind of teenage movies that depict out, and we kind of all snicker and laugh because we're adults and we've all matured past that. But all we've done as adults is just become better at disguising it. We're doing the exact same thing, aren't we? We're still trying to find our identity. Who are my people? Who, who do I belong to? And the problem is that we then become known for that thing. And when we become known for that thing, our whole identity rests on that. Our growth actually becomes stunted because we've staked our whole identity on a shaky foundation. And what happens then if, if you change your mind? Or what happens then if you uh, grow or mature past those kind of things? It feels like we're betraying people. It feels like we're betraying ourselves. We become confused in our, in our own identity. But it's all because we've tried to build on a foundation that was never meant to bear the weight of our entire life. Jesus is our foundation, provides uh, 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 an unshakable foundation that we can build our life upon. And Jesus is our foundation, provides really for two of the great longings of the human heart. Not the only ones, but two, two of the great ones, unity or reconciled relationships, right? No, no one wakes up in the morning and is like, how can I sabotage my relationships? How can I really just get everybody on my bad side at work today? Right? We all want peace with each other. You want to go to a workplace where you actually get along uh, with people, uh, where you're likable, where, you know, you, you want, that's why we pick the friends that we pick. We want unity. We want peace within our relationships. The second thing that it, that it provides, this longing of the heart, is just stability to withstand life storms. We build our life upon a foundation that just won't last at times, right? I give that example, like you build it on your career, but what happens if your career falls apart? Even if it's out of your hands, our whole life then seems to kind of go with that. Or what happens if, the, if your partner leaves you or, or, God forbid, dies? Does your whole world die with that? Our whole identity of who we are, our whole world kind of crumbles with us. It's how we kind of know where idolatry is, right? Because the, the idols in our life are those things that if they were taken away or removed, you feel like, I've just been gutted. My whole life is, is, is gone. It gives us, when we build our life on the foundation of Jesus, stability to withstand life storms. Um, it's how, it's, it's, this is, is ultimately how I got through last year um, with trying to face cancer. I just knew that regardless of what happened uh, in my life, uh, that the foundation that I had built my life on was, was sure. <laughs> no cancer diagnosis was going to change that. And here's this amazing thing, the truth that he says. Our identity then, when we build it on the foundation of Jesus, we build a life then that becomes God's temple. <laughs> when we build our lives on the foundation of Jesus, on his gospel, we, his people, literally become the container on earth in which the Holy Spirit dwells. God's Spirit dwelling among us. Those aren't just kind of lyrics that we sing, but God in His presence right now is here present with us, His Spirit dwelling among us as His people, which is incredible. Um, it's not as incredible to us because we kind of lose sight of the fact but for, for, for these people at this time, especially the Jewish people, to be called the temple, the temple was the one place on earth, the only place where the presence of God 
dwelled. And only the high priest could go into that Holy of Holies once a year. And we see that veil that separated that Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple torn in two when Jesus says it is finished. He gives up his life. Why? That veil is torn because now through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we all have access to the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the the final sacrifice. He, He was the final high priest, the final mediator between us and God. And so we see this construction of community is built on um, uh, the true foundation of Jesus. What does it look like then, the demolition of a community? Because um, uh, this is what he's writing to. This is a community that's falling apart at the moment. What are ways that we can demolish a church, if you will? Look at verses, uh, we'll read in verse 12 uh, through 15. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, Each one's work will become manifest, okay? So we're all going to build. We're all going to use different building materials. And those building materials are all going to become manifest. For the day, we'll disclose it. When you see the day or the day of the Lord, this is the day of uh, final judgment when we stand before the Lord. And all of this will be disclosed. Why? Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So ways that we can demolish a church. One is kind of the inverse of what we've said already. Disregard for the foundation. We seek foundations in political causes, philosophical ideals, ideologies, uh, consumerism, individuality, etc., etc. We build on our emotions, so... We kind of, whatever I feel, um, but you know, as I do, feelings change. Um, and, and imagine building a building and then having to change the foundation after the building's already been built on top of it. Like trying to jack up that whole building, replace the foundation. That's precarious kind of work. But this is what we do when our, when our, our foundations are our emotions of how we feel. We have to build on something greater than ourselves. Turn to Psalm 127. Um, a familiar, probably, psalm, if you've um, been around a church for a while, it's probably on a coffee mug or a, a cheesy painting somewhere. Um, but the very, ver- the very first verse of 127, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Now, that's interesting because there's two builders described in that. There's the Lord building, but then also the builder's building. So Paul says, we are those builders, but it's the Lord, us, gathered together, the Lord building, using us. He is the ultimate master builder, the ultimate architect, if you will. Um, And unless he is the one doing that, all of our labor is in vain. It just doesn't last. This is exactly what um, Paul is saying here. He's not talking about salvation categories here. These aren't salvific categories he's talking about. What he's talking about really are two sets of building materials that we use. There's perishable, ones that don't last through a fire, wood, hay, straw, all those get burned up and there's just nothing left, ash. Or there's imperishable, ones that do last, um, though tested by fire, gold, silver, precious stones. And he says how you know which is which is really revealed in the last day. There are times where we don't know, at the very, uh, uh, we don't know while we're here on earth. 
The point is that God knows. He is the judge of all those things. We should do our best to uh, allow him to be building through us, his spirit to be the one doing the construction through us. So there's disregard for the foundation. There's these using bad building materials, as we've seen, um, imperishable ones instead of perishable ones. And then a third way is just to demolish yourself. Verses 17 to 20. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Two different kind of wisdom. Our own wisdom, which is really foolishness to us, or there's God's wisdom, which often seems like foolishness to, to us as humans. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And this is interesting because he's essentially called us craft, craftsmen. But he'll catch us in our craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. God takes his dwelling place seriously. He oversees destruction for those who attempt to destroy his temple. When we work against his plan and our own wisdom, when we think we are wise enough, we really become fools. And we're fools because we are actually working against ourselves. We ourselves pay the price for that. We end up destroying ourselves, demolishing ourselves as part of the building. To turn on a community is really to turn on oneself. Um, and this is what's happening here, isn't it? In this church, they're dividing amongst themselves. Imagine if we are bricks, as it, you know, these living stones, to, to use Peter's metaphor, and be like, I don't like this brick I'm next to. I don't like being cemented next to this one. I'm, I'm going I'm to move. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going I'm to like unlock myself from here. And imagine that happening. The, the, the whole structure begins to fail. We become um, our own kind of judge of what is wise. Uh, we want to kind of do our own thing apart from the community. We don't want kind of accountability uh, in our own spiritual life. And no accountability then turns into no real intimacy. Right? Think of all the people that you have in intimacy with in your life. Close friends, family, uh, a spouse maybe. But what's, what's uh, the common thread through all of those? People that you have intimacy with are people you have accountability with. I have intimacy with my wife. Uh, I have int intimacy with my family because I'm accountable to them. <laughs> They're accountable to me. I can't just go off and do whatever I want uh, in my own life um, and decide whatever I want to do. Of, uh, uh, my wife's just going to do whatever she wants to do and then expect us to have the same level of intimacy, right? That's not, that's not how that works. We have a shared life together, and that shared life breeds intimacy because we're accountable to one another. And the same is true in our spiritual lives um, with each other. As the church, no accountability turns into a lack of intimacy. And then this leads to kind of isolation and loneliness, a lack of community. But sometimes that's self-inflicted because we want to keep our independence. I want to be a part of the building, but don't cement me in there. Don't, don't, don't put me in next to, to, the, to that brick. 
And so what's our hope then? How do we rebuild community? Which is really what Paul is driving at here, right? There's cracks uh, in the building. He's reminding them of the foundation that they've been built on. How do we um, restore and make sure uh, that the building survives? Verse uh, 19, For the wisdom of the world is folly with God, for it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, wise, for those that think they're wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, these leaders, they're yours. Or the world or life or death or the present or the future are all yours. It's incredible. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God. And he reminds them of this, this uh, uh, incredible truth. He reminds them what they already have. He reminds them of who they already are. He reminds them they already have an identity-forming foundation, which is really freeing, isn't it? There's freedom in that. I don't have to go and try to build my own foundation. I don't have to try to, 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 to self-actualize into the person that I think I need to be. I can rest on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. I don't have to try to build that my own. He says, you already have. You already have that. Christ laid the foundation in his death and his resurrection. It is an unshakable foundation. It is what informs the rest of our building upon that. He says they they already have all they've been striving for. Paul says, listen, Corinthians, you're trying to build this identity. You're trying to strive for that by by hitching your wagon to certain people, by trying to build an identity. Um, uh, I'm this kind of person. I follow follow, uh, Peter. Oh, no, 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 no. He's not sufficient enough. He's not good enough. I'm more of an Apollos kind of guy. I'm an old G. I'm going to stick with the original guy. I'm, I'm going I'm to stick with, uh, with Paul. And then you have those kind that are like, oh, you are also beneath us. We're going to go with Jesus. Jesus juke, everybody. That's not really what they meant, right? But they're, they're trying to build their own kind of foundation. And Paul says, listen, well, all the things that you're striving for in this way that you're trying to build, you already have. You already have in Christ. You don't need to be divided over your leaders because your leaders are a gift to you from God. That didn't come out the way. I, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting I'm a, gift, I'm, a gift of, uh, I'm a gift of God to you. That's not what I meant, right? Because um, he says in verse 4, this is next week, that how you should regard us are as servants. So, um, but, right, it's more like um, the restaurant's giving you a waiter to help serve you. That's the kind of gift, right? Your leaders are a gift. They've been given to you by God to, to, to help in the building project. They're already yours. You don't have to divide over them. These are servants that that are already yours. The present and future that you're striving for, he says, can be fully embraced without anxiety. It can be fully embraced without worry. Why? Because they're already yours in Christ. You already have a firm foundation. You already have a a, a secure future. You already have a, a, a given identity that is far superior than what you're striving for. All of these things are already yours. He reminds them of whose they are. He says, you are Christ's, and Christ 
is with God. In, in another uh, way, he'll, in another book, he, he'd say, your, your life is hidden with Christ. Christ. Christ's life is hidden in the Father. And the Spirit seals all of this together. You are literally invited into and in union with the triune God of the universe who created all of this, who owns all of this, who is sovereign over all of this. And yet you're striving apart from all of that, trying to obtain something on your own. And he's like, you already have everything you need. Certainty of who Jesus is, of what he has done, of of building with the right materials on the proper foundation. He says, we don't have anything to fear, not even life or death itself. He says, you don't have to fear the temple being destroyed, this temple, why? Because the temple, that is Jesus, was already destroyed in his death on the cross. And it was already rebuilt three days later. What does Jesus say? Um, this is in the, in the book of John. Um, he, he, says, uh, he says, so the Jews said to him, these are the, the Pharisees, and they're asking him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Right, all of the things that Jesus has been doing, these miracles. And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? They didn't understand. But he was speaking about the temple of his body, that Jesus is the temple. When therefore he raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And what was the result of that? They believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus wasn't talking about the actual brick and mortar temple. He was talking about He was talking about himself, the place where his own spirit would reside, would be raised three days later. God is so committed to this building project of the church, so committed to the building building project of his people, that he gave his own life to lay the foundation for it, ensuring that all things are ours, life, death, even the world itself. This is Jesus' vision in John 17. This is 9 and 11. This is Jesus praying to the Father. This is toward the end of his time on earth. Uh, we get this glimpse into his vision for his church that he knew would be founded after, after his death, resurrection, and ascension. He says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. That's you and me. Those of us that, are, that have put our faith and hope in the death and resurrection of Jesus, Christians believers. He says, those people, you and me if you're a Christian today, are yours. They're God's, and God has given them. He says, mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. We, the church, belong to God. He says, they're mine. You've given them to me, that's Jesus, and I, Jesus, am glorified in them. That's incredible. He says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. He's going to resurrect go back to the right hand of the father we're going to stay here on the world Uh, uh, he says and i'm coming to you and then listen to this he says holy father keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one (laughs) 
What's the unity of Jesus and the Father? What's that unity like? A bit shaky? A bit iffy? Not so sure that's going to work out and last? No. The Trinity has always existed, always will exist. It is the eternal God, and he says, my prayer is that their unity together would be just like our unity, that they would be one just as Jesus and the Father are one. And he accomplishes that. Why? How? By giving us his spirit, the same spirit, the spirit of Christ, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul would go on to say. It's the same spirit he gives you and us. This is what he's reminding these Corinthians of. The foundation that they're building their life on isn't an individual exercise to come up with a foundation, to come up with some kind of identity, to strive for that and then watch it all crumble if it fails. When it eventually will fail. Because even if it doesn't seem like it's failed on earth, you die this raging success, it has to pass through that fire. And all of that, he says, is is wood, it's hay. It doesn't make it through. It's building our life on the foundation of Jesus with those right building materials. Gold, silver, the precious stones, imperishable materials. Allowing the Holy Spirit to weave us together as one people. This is his vision for them as a church strives on their own and starts to fracture and break apart. May this be a, a reminder for us. God's given us a, a, a unity in this church in the short, li- short life we've been around, you know, in the grand scheme of seconds, our church has existed like, I don't know, a hundred tenths of a second, something like that maybe. Um, but we're grateful for that. Long may that continue. But that's not just on the elders. That's not just uh, the elders aren't going to fight. Hopefully the elders can stay together and that will keep our church together. Not at all. It's all of us as workmen. All of us on this construction crew. Each of us bringing the right building materials, building on the right foundation of Jesus and him crucified together. Will we commit to that? Will we commit to building our lives on that? On the thing that will never fail? So yeah, your career might fail. Relationships end. People get sick and die. That's just the natural part of our sinful state in this life. But we still have an opportunity to build and build things that will last into eternity after this life is long gone. That's what we give our life to. And as we do that, that actually, as we saw, remember, keep all of this together. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? It's as we do that that actually leads us into a life of flourishing. A a, a life of flourishing with the people of God in a society that actually have a beneficial effect to that society. So as we participate in politics, and as you go into your work, and as we build families, and as we create uh, music, and as uh, whatever it is that you're involved in doing, we do that all to the glory of God. Because ultimately, that's not who our, our identity, that's not our worth and our purpose aren't on those things. Our worth and our purpose and identity is in Christ, and that is what adds value to those things. That is what guides and directs us in our decision-making in those things. And that is what will unify a church and keep it from crumbling um, apart. Father, maybe it's so for us. Let's pray.